words with me, if you would, to Acts. Hopefully you haven't forgotten about Acts. Haven't been there since the end of November, but got to get back to it and get to it and get her done. We only got about five more chapters, so we should be done by August or September, maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's good to see you all. Yeah. Happy New Year. It is a good, a good, a good time for beginnings. Last week, uh, if you missed it, uh, go, go online and listen to it. You missed my annual sermon on, on making resolutions, resolving things to goals to set. We need to do that. Now, it, it just flipped into my mind. I, <laughs> a picture of Dairy Queen sign that says, Faithfully helping since 1963, helping everybody break their New Year's resolutions. <laughs> That's not what we're supposed to do, folks, okay? <laughs> um, make, make, some, make some goals. Set some goals this year. Again, it's the same thing. If you're here, God's not done with you yet. So what are you going to get done this year for Him? And at, at the end of this year, please don't be in the same place that you're at right now. Spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever, be healthier. I'm going to speak for myself here. Lose 25 pounds, be healthier. One of, one of my goals this, this year is to be better at scripture memorization. I haven't done so well on that the last couple of years. I need to re engage and kick it into gear. So set some goals for yourselves. So we say, if you aim at nothing, that's what you're going to hit, right? Another one, if, and I used it last week, so if you were here, forgive me, but if you weren't, you need to hear it. You failed to plan, you plan to fail. So let's, let's plan to succeed, uh, and succeed with, with God, giving us, as, as so many of our songs talked about today, giving us peace, giving us victory. I don't know if any of them used joy today. I know some last week did, but, but to, to inclusively roll that up together and, and move forward in our walk with the Lord. Okay, here's one that I've shared with you. Green is growing, ripe is rotting. If you're ripe, take a shower or something. Just kidding. Okay, that was funny, guys. Thanks. Green is growing, ripe is rotting. If you're don't, don't be content to sit where you're at. Don't, don't be content to, to not be growing, to be ripe. Be, be desirous of, of moving forward, okay, of growing. We're going to look, uh, Acts, we're going to be in Acts 23 today. But if you would, uh, just a, a quick review to kind of get us resituated in the book since it's been about five or six weeks. Uh, Paul, remember Paul returned to Jerusalem, chapter 21, he, he left Ephesus, he sailed back, and, and he connected with James, the head of the church in Jerusalem, and they hatched this really stupid scheme to get Paul to pay for some, some vows and some offerings that four men had made, 
And, and Paul agreed to the bad idea. And, and there was the thought that, well, what about those people that you just left, the Jews in, in Asia Minor and in Greece and, and the new Christians there, the Gentiles that have come to Christ? What, about, what if they hear Paul doing this? They're going to say, That's, you're, you're, you're not living the way you told us. You're, you're going back under the law and offering sacrifices in the temple. Now, let's get it out of the way right now. When Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the, and he fulfilled prophecies. Okay, and we'll get to that again later where, where he fulfilled the temple. He, by, by sacrificing himself on the cross, he did everything that the Jews have been doing for years in the temple except his blood forgave their sins and washed them away. So Paul, why are you going back under the law? You, you told the people out in Asia Minor and, and out in, in uh, Greece that the law was dead, that we needed to live in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ fulfilled that law. He fulfilled that temple. But he did it anyway, but then in verse, uh, chapter 21, 27, verse 27, when the seven days were almost over and they were getting ready to do the sacrifices, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him. Seems where, wherever Paul went, there was, there was a ruckus. When we preach the word of God, there ought to be a ruckus. Because people all ought to not want to hear about the sin in their lives and the sin that they need to bring to Jesus and ask to be forgiven. So the, 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 the Jews from Asia are, are stirring it up. And in verse 30, chapter 21, verse 30, they took hold of Paul to kill him. Verse 33, somebody else took hold of him. The commander of the, of the Roman guard there took hold of him to save him, literally save his life. Claudius Lysias. We're going to talk about him quite a bit today. He ordered him brought into the barracks. And Paul says to him, hey, let me talk to these people. Let me, let me explain to them what's going on. As we recall, verse 40, there was a great hush. And in verse, chapter 22, verse 2, they became even more quiet when he began speaking in their dialect. He began talking to them in the local, the local language. So they could understand him. And, and they were listening pretty good until, if you recall, we get to verse 21 of chapter 22. And, and Paul's telling them what Jesus told him. Verse 21, he says, and, and Jesus said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. <laughs> this guy knew how to stir it up, didn't he? He's telling a bunch of Jews that Jesus told them to go to the Gentiles. Well, here we go again. Claudius Lysias had to step in and save his neck one more time because they started screaming, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So again, Claudius reaches out, pulls him back into the barracks, saves his neck. And Claudius says, Now this is the second time. We haven't solved anything yet. It seems to be a doctrinal issue. He said, so I'm going to let Paul speak tomorrow to the Sanhedrin, to the council. 
and see, see what these charges are. See why they want to kill this man. Chapter 23, we're getting caught up here now. Paul's brought before the Sanhedrin. And uh, Paul, and we talked about this just a little bit last week. Paul, in verse 1, says, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Well, the current high priest, that didn't set well with him. He thought that was blasphemy, so he, he says to one of the, the guys standing next to him, he said, strike him on the mouth. Verse 3, Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall, and do you sit and try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? Bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And immediately, and this is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this is exactly what Psalm 51 talks about, having a broken and a contrite heart. Paul immediately, because he didn't recognize that the one that told somebody to slap him was the high priest. And he didn't want to be disrespectful to the high priest. He was not disrespectful intentionally to the high priest. Verse 5, Paul says, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And we go, I always go back in my mind to, when, when I see that attitude and heart from Paul, I always go back to Saul and David. And the, the atrocious sins that David committed, and yet God was still able to use him because when confronted with a sin, he repented. He was broken. And he asked for forgiveness. Saul was proud and arrogant. He just kept going. He was, he was going to go his way. You know, he didn't care about the highway or God's way. He was just going his way. And Paul immediately here is, is broken and said, I'm, I apologize. I didn't realize that that is who he was. So Paul, Paul, Paul knows. Paul's had enough experience he knows when he's got himself in a pickle, okay? And, he, and he's, he's thinking in his mind his only way out of the situation is, is trouble, okay? And, and I, I don't know, I believe the Holy Spirit gave him this idea. Maybe he was quick enough on his feet to, to think of it himself, but I kind of think the Holy Spirit helped him out in this moment. So what does he do? Verses 6, 7, 8, 9 there, he, he throws it out there and he says, he, he, he throws it out there and he says, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> Do you remember how they reacted a couple minutes ago when he said that Christ told them to go to the Gentiles? Well, now he's got half of them reacting that way. Now he's got the Sadducees reacting that way, and you know why. Because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't have... Hope that they, that they didn't believe that there was life after this, after this life on this earth. And of course, that's why we always say they're sad, you see. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't have the hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. So they're sad, and I would be sad too. It's certainly justified. So he gets, then, then he gets them in a fight between each other. The Sadducees and the Pharisees start screaming and hollering at each other. And here comes Claudius Lysias again. He, Come on, Paul. <laughs> let's, let's back out of this mess, okay? We're going to get you out of here one more time. We're going to save your neck. 
He said, we're going we're gonna to back you out of here. All right. Um, oh, I missed that point. In, in verse 25 of chapter 22, they, they were stretching him out to, to beat him, basically, um, because Claudius thought maybe he could beat the truth out of him, or maybe if he beat him, he'd come up with this, some excuses to why these people wanted him dead or killed. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. He says to the centurion about ready to beat him, he said, wait a minute, you're doing this to a Roman citizen who has not been convicted of any crime. Oh, centurion stopped right away and he went to Claudius and he said, hey dude, we can't do this. We're breaking the law by what we're going to do to this guy. He's a Roman citizen. So Claudius at the end of chapter 22 goes to Paul and he says, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yeah. And he said, ooh. So now, now, now Claudius has to take a couple steps back because he knows he's messed up, okay? He's messed up. And so that's why he kind of gives him the chance to talk to the Sanhedrin. And after making his comment to the high priest, Paul says, okay, <laughs> i got to get these two people fighting against each other so I can back out of here because this isn't going to go well, and that's exactly what happens. Which brings us to verse 11. And where we'll pick up today. Lord willing, we'll see if we can make it to the end of the chapter. Verse 11. Excuse me. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Some translations, I believe, say, Be of good cheer. And we mentioned this back in November, don't know if any of you remember, but it's not the same Hebrew word that Joshua got, be strong and courageous, but it's the same message. And so in the Hebrew we could say rak shazak, be strong and courageous, but this was in the Greek, so it says be of good cheer, take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. That's kind of a pat on the back coming from Jesus. I mean, first of all, don't, don't raise your hands if you, if you had come talk to me later, but it, it's not very often that Jesus stands next to you. Literally, fig, physically, there we go, not figuratively, physically stands next to you. And he's come to encourage Paul. All, all that, that Paul's been going through, he, he just, he's, he's just experienced the second of the five trials that he's going to experience before he gets to Rome. This is number two in Jerusalem. He's going to have three up in Caesarea. We're going to find out here in a few minutes why and how he gets up to Caesarea. But the Lord comes to him to encourage him. And thus the, the title of our sermon, Lo, I am with you always. We can have peace in that. We can have hope in that. We can have joy in that. That we know, whatever our circumstances are, he's with us. He is never, Hebrews, he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 10. He's there for us, no matter what. No matter how good or bad we think we might have been. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how dark the valley is that we're walking through, 
Jesus is there for you. He is there for each and every one of us that have called on his name. He says, take courage, Paul, for you you have solemnly witnessed. You've done what I asked you to do. See if I can find it real quick. That just popped into my mind. There we go. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That I may finish my course in the ministry and the ministry. Paul, Jesus right here is confirming that you have done the ministry that he had for you in Jerusalem. You've, you've done, Paul, you've done what I asked you to do. This year, let's do what he's asked us to do. And just spend some time thinking this week. I always like to use the illustration about and, and, and it was kind of funny. One of, one of the commentaries I was reading this week actually used the word marinated. He actually used the word. That we need to marinate in the Word of God. That we need to marinate and, and soak it up and, and just spend time with God. I was so excited when I read it. I, I should remember which one it is. I can't remember which one it was. But I said, yes! He used the word marinated. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not loony, I'm not stupid or off track. I, I'm, I'm with this guy anyhow, you know. We need to marinate in the Word of God so that when we're squeezed, Jesus comes out. But if I don't have Jesus in there, he's not going to come out. Why are we not telling our neighbors about Jesus? Is it because he's not there? Because we know that from the, from the I'm not thinking of the verse to quote it right now, that, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if we're not speaking about Jesus then he's not in the abundance of our heart. He's not what's there. He's not what we're meditating on. He's not what we're marinating in. He's not what we're being permeated with. So look at your life. Look at your heart. And if, you're not, if, it's, if it's not coming out, maybe it's because it's not here. Scary thought, yeah? Just a little bit? Because if it's here, it's going to come out. Christ says, Paul, you've done, you've fulfilled your ministry. The ministry that I asked you to do in Jerusalem, you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. And then a promise. And guess what, Paul? You're also going to have that opportunity in Rome. I'm going to see the, and now, now between here and Rome, between here and chapter 28, 27 and 28 at the end of the book of Acts, 
A lot's going to happen. And there's going to be a lot of cause for pause. A lot of cause for Paul to say, God, where are you? Shipwreck. Bitten by a snake that should have killed him. God, where are you? But, but Paul had this promise because Jesus stood next to him. And he said, so you must witness at Rome also. What do, what do we know? What do we know when God's name is exalted? When we exalt the name of Jesus, what do we know about Satan? He hates it. It gets under his skin. He does not like the name of Jesus to be declared and exalted. Jesus just said, Paul, you're going to get to Rome. You're going to get that thing that you've been longing for for a long time. You're going to get to, get, you're going to, get to, get to Rome. No matter what happens, I'm with you. I'm going to get you to Rome so that you can declare my name there just like you have done here in Jerusalem. Ooh, you think Satan perked up his ears? He says, i got to stop this. This is not good. If he's going to make it to Rome and do the same thing in Rome that he did in Jerusalem by proclaiming Christ, we got to stop this. Whatever it takes. And, and when... And when one, one, one avenue of Satan is thwarted, he'll try to open another one. The Jews from Asia stirred up. They tried to kill him. Claudius pulled him back. He went and talked again. Claudius pulled, a third time, Claudius saves his life and pulls him back. They're feeling defeated, so they get, man, we got to come up with something. What we're trying here isn't working. Acts chapter 23, verse 12 through 15. And when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who formed this plot, and they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we've killed Paul. Now therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. Lo, I am with you always. How many of you, to your knowledge, have had a group of more than 40 people who have conspired together to murder you? Well, they're obviously not very good at it, and we're glad for that because you're here. But if you got 40 people setting more than 40 people in a conspiracy out to murder you, it might be kind of a lonely place to be feeling, huh? <laughs> I mean, it was bad in junior high when one or two kids hated you, right? I am with you always. We got a group of, of 40 Jews, more than 40 Jews. They're not going to, they're serious. They're serious about this and, and because they're not going to eat or drink until he's dead, okay? Which tells you a couple things. One, they were pretty serious. And two, 
They intended to do it rather quickly, because I'm sure not too many of them wanted to miss too many meals. Their, their intent was to do it now, to do it quickly, to be done with it, to get it over with. I want to read a, a short, short piece from uh, Harry Ironside, one of the, the commentaries I like to study. God is never nearer to his people than when they cannot see his face. He is never closer than when they do not hear his voice. He is never undertaking for them more definitely than at the very times when his own name is not even mentioned. Somebody has well said that God is often behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. That's why I have to read it. You knew I wouldn't come up with that good of a line. There are times in all our lives when we seem to be forgotten of God, times when we find it difficult to pray. Any of you ever experienced that? Difficult to pray? Yeah? Times when we grope in the darkness and we can't understand God's way with us, but He is always near at hand. He is waiting to undertake for us. He is watching over us, even when we are so weak and sick that we cannot remember His promises. This is good. This is good. In the book of Psalms, in one passage, it says, He remembers His covenant for them. That is a wonderful thought. When they forgot, He remembered still, and He remembered His covenant for them. Lo, I am with you always. Paul, does, at this point, doesn't even know that this conspiracy is going on. He, he's quite aware of the fact that there are some people that don't like him a whole lot. I mean, they've at least, I mean, in, in this very recent scenario, this, not, not his whole ministry, but it, at least this little portion of it, they've tried three times already. They haven't been able to get their hands on him. But God, God is there to look over and take care of him. So, this one didn't work, this method, so now we're going to try the conspiracy method. Verse 16, but the son of Paul's sister, this is the only time in the Bible they're mentioned. It's Paul's sister and his nephew. The son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, how much of a God thing is that, that his nephew happened to be where he could hear what they were saying? Paul called one of his centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. And, and here again, you get, you get the sense that the way the Romans are dealing with them is kind of with kick gloves because they know they really screwed up by, by strapping him down and getting ready to, to scourge him without, uh, as a Roman citizen without any conviction of any crime. So they're, they're sure, <laughs> anything you say, Paul, we've we got to make this right with you. So yeah, you bet. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't have done that in other circumstances. But God allowed what happened before to happen so that they would be in the position to do what he needed done here. And at this point, Paul needs the, the commander, Claudius Lysias, to hear what his nephew has to say. 
Verse 18, so he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. And the commander took him by the hand. Now, now you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that the commander would be taking an 18- or 20-year-old by the hand. So we, we probably are guessing that he was a younger lad, okay? A, a younger lad because he, he reaches down and he takes his hand. Commander took him by the hand and stepping aside began to inquire of him privately, what is it that you have to report to me? And Paul's nephew said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him and now they are ready and waiting for the the promise from you. Therefore, the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you've notified me of these things. That's a pretty, pretty accurate witness right there. I mean, you could put him on, on this, the witness stand in court. That's a, that's a pretty good regurgitation of the facts there. And he told Lysias, Claudius Lysias everything that he needed to know and what they needed to do to protect Paul. Another quick quip from Ironside. Paul knew nothing of the conspiracy, and there seemed to be no, no way by which he could learn of it. But there was one who knew all about it, and though, all seen, although unseen, he was watching over his servant all the time. When we speak of God's providential care, we mean God's unseen interference in the affairs of men. Thank goodness for that. So, we got the conspiracy set up. We got the, I don't really want to call him a spy because it doesn't say that he was being sneaky or anything. But we got Paul's nephew that hears, takes the message to the centurion. Verse 23, and he called to him two of the centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night and proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And the commander, Claudius Lysias, wrote a letter having this form. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came upon them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge from which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. And when I was informed that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with the orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. And when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when he, Felix, had read it, 
he asked for what province he was, and when he had learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. We're going to see later that, that Paul's going to get a, a free boat ride to Rome at the, gover- at the Roman government's expense. And here we see he's got a personal escort. 400 soldiers and 70 cavalry. And guess what? He's not riding on no donkey. He's not walking. He's got a horse. He's riding on a horse all the way to Caesarea. He was traveling in style, man. He was going in style because God had his back. God knew what was coming down. Now, just a couple things to point out here. It's, it's kind of funny, and it's kind of funny to read what all, how, how all the commentaries address it. But Claudius was all about Claudius. In his, in his letter, he's bragging to, he's bragging to, the, to, to the governor, Felix, that he knew that Paul was a Roman citizen, right? Yeah, uh-huh. He, he, he doesn't mention in his letter that he had him strapped down and he's ready to scourge him. Basically beat him within an inch of his life and maybe possibly cost him his life. Claudius is all about himself. He wants to look good to the governor. So he doesn't tell his little, uh, hey, that was against the law. That was against the Roman law. And, and what, what, if, if they had beaten Paul... He, he could have been subject to the very same thing. The, the, the commander of the garrison there in Jerusalem, Claudius Lysias, he could have been put on the, on the, the, the straps, held, held down with the straps and beaten himself if he had done that unjustly to a Roman citizen. So, I, you know, he, he, he didn't try to slide that into the letter anywhere that he had messed up and not realized that Paul was a Roman citizen. But God gave him that as a tool at this point to use to protect him and to make him ready. But escort through the night. They leave about 9 p.m. They head up to Caesarea to get away from the 40-plus. Now, how, how, how many of you think that any of those guys starved to death because they didn't they weren't going to eat until Paul was dead right there there was going to be a lot of them on hunger strikes for quite a while because it took Paul Paul Paul's not to Rome yet okay he's not even on the boat he's going to sit in Caesarea for almost two years then he's going there's going to be some pretty skinny Jews at least 40 plus of them anyhow I am with you always. But the, the, the Christ that stood next to him in verse 11, telling him to take courage, you solemnly witness to my cause in Jerusalem, you will, you, so you must also in Rome. That same Lord and Savior is your Lord and Savior if you've accepted him. He's not going to ask you to do something and not provide you with the strength and the ability to do it. 
But he's not going to ask all of us to do the same thing either. This will, this will take me right into that body thing that we talk about so often. We need you. You need us. We need you to do your part in the body of Christ, in this local body here, so that the worldwide mission of Christ can be completed and accomplished. Verse 35, he gave orders. Felix, the governor, gave him orders to be kept in Herod's praetorium. That was the governor's mansion. He, he wasn't sitting in some pit somewhere. He, he got some pretty good accommodations. It wasn't a, other than the fact that he wasn't getting to Rome any quicker, it wasn't a bad thing that, that Felix and then Festus and then Agrippa took their time. He, he had pretty good accommodations. God was taking care of him. Paul was convinced that the Jews had no case because his faith was the faith of his fathers. And the gospel was the fulfillment of the law. That's a direct quote from one of my commentaries. It was, it was John Stott. It was Ironside. John Stott. He said the gospel was the fulfillment of the law. What was the gospel? What was the word? John 1. Spent, we visited that frequently during December leading up to, to Christmas. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. That's why Paul knew they didn't have a case, because he knew he was on the side of truth. He knew that by preaching the gospel, he was going to come down on the right side. And he was going to come down on the side of Jesus, again, who is never going to leave him, but is always, always going to be there with him. Excuse me. I just, just to read Ironside again. Somebody has well said that God is often behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. Times in our lives when we seem to be forgotten of God, times when we find it difficult to pray, times when we grope in the darkness and we can't understand God's way with us. But he is always here at hand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. That he was willing to risk his, his body, his neck, and his life. So that he would complete the ministry that you gave him to do. Father, teach us how not to be able not to talk about you. That we must talk about you. That you've, you are so filled up in our hearts that we can't help but talk about you and what you've done for us. Father, help us to live that way. 
that we might be bold for Jesus Christ, just as Paul was. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.